0: Section nine of the personal Poe collection. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elise D. Personal Poe Collection by Edgar Allan Poe. Section nine, Berenice. Decabant mihi sodales, si sepulcrum amicai, visitarum curas maias quantulum fore luatas misery is manifold, the wretchedness of the earth is multiform, overreaching the wide horizon as the rainbow, its hues are as various as the hues of that arch, as distinct too yet as intimately blended overreaching the wide horizon as the rainbow. How is it that from beauty I have derived a type of unloveliness from the covenant of peace, a simile of sorrow? But as, in ethics, evil is a consequence of good, so, in fact, out of joy is sorrow born. Either the memory of past bliss is the anguish of to-day, or the agonies which are have their origin in the ecstasies which might have been. My baptismal name is Aegeus, that of my family I will not mention, yet there are no towers in the land more time-honoured than my gloomy, grey, hereditary halls. Our line has been called a race of visionaries, and in many striking particulars, in the character of the family mansion, in the frescoes of the chief saloon, in the tapestries of the dormitories, in the chiselling of some buttresses in the armory, but more especially in the gallery of antique paintings, in the fashion of the library chamber, and, lastly, in the very peculiar nature of the library's contents, there is more than sufficient evidence to warrant the belief the recollections of my earliest years are connected with that chamber and with its volumes of which latter i will say no more here died my mother herein i was born but it is mere idleness to say that i have not lived before that the soul has no previous existence you deny it let us not argue the matter convinced myself i seek not to convince there is however a remembrance of aerial forms of spiritual and meaning eyes of sounds musical yet sad a remembrance which will not be excluded a memory like a shadow vague variable indefinite unsteady and like a shadow too in the impossibility of my getting rid of it while the sunlight of my reason shall exist in that chamber i was born thus awakening from the long night of what seemed but was not nonentity at once into the very regions of fairyland into a place of imagination into the wild dominions of monastic thought and erudition it is not singular that i gazed around me with a startled and ardent eye that i loitered away from my boyhood in books and dissipated my youth in reverie but it is singular that as the years rolled away and the noon of manhood found me in the mansion of my fathers it is wonderful what stagnation there fell upon the springs of my life wonderful how total an inversion took place in the character of my commonest thought the realities of the world affected me as visions and as visions only while the wild ideas of the land of dreams became in turn not the material of my everyday existence but in very deed that existence utterly and solely in itself Berenice and I were cousins, and we grew up together in my paternal halls, yet differently we grew. I, of ill health and buried in gloom, she, agile, graceful, and overflowing with energy, hers, the ramble on the hillside, mine, the studies of the cloister, I, living within my own heart and addicted, body and soul, to the most intense and painful meditation, she, roaming carelessly through life, with no thought of the shadows in her path or the silent flight of the raven-winged hours. Berenice! I call upon her name, Berenice! And from the grey runes of a memory a thousand tumultuous recollections are startled at the sound. Ah! vividly is her image before me now, as in the early days of her light-heartedness and joy! O gorgeous yet fantastic beauty! O sylph amid the shrubberies of Arnheim! O naiad among its fountains! And then, then all is mystery and terror and a tale which should not be told. Disease, a fatal disease, like the simoon upon her frame, and even while I gazed upon her, the spirit of change swept over her, pervading her mind, her habits, and her character, and, in a manner the most subtle and terrible, disturbing even the identity of her person. Alas! The destroyer came and went, and the victim—where is she? I knew her not, or knew her no longer, as Berenice. Among the numerous train of maladies superinduced by that fatal and primary one which effected a revolution of so horrible a kind in the moral and physical being of my cousin may be mentioned as the most distressing and obstinate in its nature—a species of epilepsy not unfrequently terminating in trance itself trance very nearly resembling positive dissolution, and from which her manner of recovery was in most instances startlingly abrupt. In the meantime my own disease then grew rapidly upon me, and assumed finally a monomaniac character of a novel and extraordinary form, hourly and momently gaining vigour, and at length obtaining over me the most incomprehensible ascendancy. This monomania, if i must so term it consisted in a morbid irritability of those properties of the mind in the metaphysical sense termed the attentive it is more than probable that i am not understood but i fear indeed that it is in no manner possible to convey to the mind of the merely general reader an adequate idea of that nervous intensity of interest with which in my case the powers of meditation not to speak technically busied and buried themselves in the contemplation of even the most ordinary objects of the universe. To muse for long unwearied hours with my attention riveted to some frivolous device on the margin, or in the typography of a book. To become absorbed for the better part of a summer's day, in a quaint shadow falling aslant upon the tapestry or upon the floor. To lose myself for an entire night in watching the steady flame of a lamp or the embers of a fire to dream away whole days over the perfume of a flower to repeat monotonously some common word until the sound by dint of frequent repetition ceased to convey any idea whatever to the mind to lose all sense of motion or physical existence by means of absolute bodily quiescence long and obstinately persevered in such were a few of the most common and least pernicious vagaries induced by a condition of the mental faculties not indeed altogether unparalleled but certainly bidding defiance to anything like analysis or explanation yet let me not be misapprehended The undue, earnest, and morbid attention thus excited by objects in their own nature frivolous must not be confounded in character, with that ruminating propensity common to all mankind, and more especially, indulged in by persons of ardent imagination. It was not even, as might be at first supposed, an extreme condition or an exaggeration of such propensity, but primarily and essentially distinct and different." in the one instance the dreamer or enthusiast being interested by an object usually not frivolous imperceptibly loses sight of this object in a wilderness of deductions and suggestions issuing therefrom until at the conclusion of the day-dream often replete with luxury he finds the in sentimentum or first cause of his musings entirely vanished and forgotten in my case the primary object was invariably frivolous although assuming, through the medium of my distempered vision, a refracted and unreal importance, few deductions, if any, were made, and those few pertinaciously returning in upon the original object as a centre. The meditations were never pleasurable, and, at the termination of the reverie, the first cause, so far from being out of sight, had attained that supernaturally exaggerated interest which was the prevailing feature of the disease in a word the powers of mind more particularly exercised were with me as i have said before the attentive and are with the daydreamer the speculative my books at this epoch if they did not actually serve to irritate the disorder partook it will be perceived largely in their imaginative and inconsequential nature of the characteristic qualities of the disorder itself i well remember among others the treatise of the noble italian Coelus secundus curio de amplitudine biade virgine de st austin's great work the city of god and tertullian's de carne christi in which the paradoxical sentence mortis est de filius credible est o quia neptumes et sepultus resurrexit, certum est quia impossibile est occupied my undivided time for many weeks of laborious and fruitless investigation thus it will appear that shaken from its balance only by trivial things my reason bore resemblance to that ocean crag spoken of by ptolemy hephaestion which steadily resisting the attacks of human violence and the fiercer fury of the waters and the winds trembled only to the touch of the flower called asphodel and although to a careless thinker it might appear a matter beyond doubt that the alliteration produced by her unhappy malady in the moral condition of berenice would afford me many objects for the exercise of that intense and abnormal meditation whose nature i have been at some trouble in explaining yet such was not in any degree the case in the lucid intervals of my infirmity her calamity indeed gave me pain and taking deeply to heart that total wreck of her fair and gentle life i did not fail to ponder frequently and bitterly upon the wonder-working means by which so strange a revolution had been so suddenly brought to pass but these reflections partook not of the idiosyncrasy of my disease and were such would have occurred under similar circumstances to the ordinary mass of mankind true to its own character my disorder revelled in the less important but more startling changes wrought in the physical frame of berenice in the singular and most appalling distortion of her personal identity during the brightest days of her unparalleled beauty most surely i had never loved her in the strange anomaly of my existence feelings with me had never been of the heart and my passion always were of the mind through the grey of the early morning, among the trestled shadows of the forest at noonday, and in the silence of my library at night, she had flitted by my eyes and I had seen her, not as a living and breathing Berenice, but as the Berenice of a dream, not as a being of the earth, earthy, but as the abstraction of such a being, not as a thing to admire, but to analyse, not as an object of love, but as the theme of the most abstruse, although desultatory, speculation. And now—now I shuddered in her presence, and grew pale at her approach, yet, bitterly lamenting her fallen and desolate condition, I called to mind that she had loved me long, and, in an evil moment, I spoke to her of marriage. And, at length, the period of our nuptials was approaching when, upon an afternoon in the winter of the year— one of those unseasonably warm calm and misty days which are the nurse of the beautiful halcyon i sat and sat as i thought alone in the inner apartment of the library but uplifting my eyes i saw that berenice stood before me was it my own excited imagination or the misty influence of the atmosphere or the uncertain twilight of the chamber or the grey draperies which fell around her figure that caused in it so vacillating and indistinct an outline i could not tell she spoke no word and i not for worlds could i have uttered a syllable an icy chill ran through my frame a sense of insufferable anxiety oppressed me A consuming curiosity pervaded my soul, and sinking back upon the chair, I remained for some time breathless and motionless, with my eyes riveted upon her person. Alas! its emaciation was excessive, and not one vestige of the former being lurked in any single line of the contour. My burning glances at length fell upon the face. The forehead was high and very pale and singularly placid and the once jetty hair fell partially over it and overshadowed the hollow temples with innumerable ringlets now of a vivid yellow and jarring discordantly in their fantastic character with the reigning melancholy of the countenance the eyes were lifeless and lustreless and seemingly pupilless and i shrank involuntarily from their glassy stare to the contemplation of the thin and shrunken lips they parted and in a smile of peculiar meaning The teeth of the changed berenice disclosed themselves slowly to my view would to god i had never beheld them or that having done so i had died the shutting of a door disturbed me and looking up i found that my cousin had departed from the chamber but from the disordered chamber of my brain had not alas departed and would not be driven away the white and ghastly spectrum of the teeth not a speck on their surface not a shade on their enamel not an indenture in their edges but what that period of her smile had sufficed to brand in upon my memory i saw them now even more unequivocally than i beheld them then the teeth the teeth they were here and there and everywhere and visibly and palpably before me long narrow and excessively white with the pale lips writhing about them as in the very moment of their first terrible development then came the full fury of my monomania and i struggled in vain against its strange and irresistible influence in the multiplied objects of the external world i had no thoughts but for the teeth for these i longed with a frenzied desire all other matters and all different interests became absorbed in their single contemplation They they alone were present to the mental eye and they in their sole individuality became the essence of my mental life i held them in every light i turned them in every attitude i surveyed their characteristics i dwelt upon their peculiarities i pondered upon their confirmation i mused upon their alliteration in their nature i shuddered as i assigned to them an imagination a sensitive and sentient power and even when unassisted by the lips a capability of moral expression of mademoiselle salle it has well been said que tout ne sais pas et de sentiment and of berenice i more seriously believed que tu ah uh, here was the idiotic thought that destroyed me des ah uh, therefore it was that i coveted them so madly i felt that their possession could alone ever restore me to peace in giving me back to reason and the evening closed in upon me thus and then the darkness came and tarried and went and the day again dawned and the mists of a second night were now gathering around and still i sat motionless in that solitary room and still I sat buried in meditation, and still the phantasma of the teeth maintained its terrible ascendancy as, with the most vivid hideous distinctness, it floated about amid the changing lights and shadows of the chamber. At length there broke in upon my dreams a cry of horror and dismay, and thereunto, after a pause, succeeded the sound of troubled voices, intermingled with many low moanings of sorrow or pain. I arose from my seat, and, throwing open one of the doors of the library, saw standing out in the antechamber a servant-maiden, all in tears, who told me Berenice was—no more. She had been seized with epilepsy in the morning, and now, at the closing in of the night, the grave was ready for its tenant, and all the preparations for the burial were completed. I found myself sitting in the library, and again sitting there alone— it seemed that I had newly awakened from a confused and exciting dream. I knew that it was now midnight, and I was well aware, that since the setting of the sun, Berenice had been interred. But, of that dreary period which intervened, I had no positive, at least no definite, comprehension. Yet its memory was replete with horror, horror more horrible from being vague, and terror more terrible from ambiguity. It was a fearful page in the record of my existence, written all over with dim and hideous and unintelligible recollections. I strived to decipher them, but in vain, while ever and anon, like the spirit of a departed sound, the shrill and piercing shriek of a female voice seemed to be ringing in my ears. I had done a deed. What was it? I asked myself the question aloud, and the whispering echoes of the chamber answered me. What was it? On the table beside me burned a lamp, and near it lay a little box. It was of no remarkable character, and I had seen it frequently before, for it was the property of the family physician. But how came it there, upon my table, and why did I shudder in regarding it? These things were no matter to be accounted for, and my eyes at length dropped to the open pages of a book, and to a sentence underscored therein the words were the singular but simple ones of the poet Eben zayat decibent mehi sodale sic sepulcherum amice visitarum curas meas aleguantilum fore why then as i perused them did the hairs of my head erect themselves on end and the blood of my body become congealed within my veins there came a light tap at the library door and Pale as the tenant of a tomb, a menial entered upon tiptoe. His looks were wild with terror, and he spoke to me in a voice tremulous, husky, and very low. What said he? Some broken sentences I heard. He told of a wild cry disturbing the silence of the night, of the gathering together of the household, of a search in the direction of the sound— and then his tones grew thrillingly distinct as he whispered me of a violated grave of a disfigured body enshrouded yet still breathing still palpitating still alive he pointed to garments they were muddy and clotted with gore i spoke not and he took me gently by the hand it was indented with the impress of human nails he directed my attention to some object against the wall i looked at it for some minutes It was a spade. With a shriek I bounded to the table and grasped the box that lay upon it, but I could not force it open, and in my tremor it slipped from my hands and fell heavily and burst into pieces, and from it, with a rattling sound, there rolled out some instruments of dental surgery, intermingled with the thirty-two small, white and ivory-looking substances that were scattered to and fro about the floor. End of section 9